I will please turn to Philippians, um, Philippians uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. I'll read till uh, chapter 4, verse 9. I'm going to look this evening at uh, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. Uh, but I'll start the reading at uh, chapter 3, verse 17. So Philippians 3, beginning at verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord's, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche uh, to agree with each other in the Lord's. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. On numerous occasions throughout the Word of God, uh, God refers to believers as his family. We are referred to as God's family. Israel is referred to as uh, God's son. And then we have numerous verses in the the New Testament that that, that speak about these uh, family relationships. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. In uh, the book of uh, the Hebrews, uh, we're told, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. He says, In bringing many sons to glory. In Galatians 4, Paul says, uh, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then John says in 1 John uh, chapter 3, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. It's wonderful, isn't it? God puts us in, in families, but he's also put us in a, a church family. And that um, as we uh, gather Sunday by Sunday, uh, we gather as uh, God's people, but also as God's family. And it's quite a staggering th- thing to think of, isn't it? That we are God's family. It's a staggering and a wonderful thing to think about. And Paul often uses family-type language, and he has done so on several occasions through this letter. In chapter 1, verse 14, 
Uh, we, he said, he's speaking about his chains and he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, uh, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. He begins chapter 3 by saying, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord's. He continues down in verse 13, again, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And this is uh, becoming perfect in the, in the Lord's. And again, in the uh, beginning of the, the, cha- the, the, the passage we looked at last week, uh, verse 17, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern uh, we gave you. It's easy to overlook these things, isn't it, as we read through a letter and we, and we concentrate on other things. Uh, but as we come to chapter 4, and as Paul turns to, to exhortation, uh, he uses perhaps the, the most tender language that he's used about um, the, the believers in, in Philippi. And that's why I've entitled the, the sermon Family Life. I struggled to, um, to, to come up with a, a title, but, uh, but I think as he, as he turns, he's really... Um, looking at how we apply all that he's been speaking of to, to life in, in the church. And as we see in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, again he comes back to this language of, of family. Now, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. We see that he also speaks about, about friendship as well. Um, we see that in this uh, first verse as we uh, look at standing firm together as a, a family. We see that this is a, a, a very much a bridging verse. It bridges uh, from the passage we looked at last week. Um, uh, so it points both backwards to that, but also forwards to, to what Paul's about to go on and, and say in uh, these next verses. That it points backwards uh, regarding uh, the end of the enemies of the cross against um, whom Paul is uh, now going to call us to stand firm uh, but also that we're to do that in light of the, uh, the wonders ahead uh, for those uh, that are following Christ, you know, in light of the fact that we're citizens in, in heaven and that Christ is going to return uh, to take us to be with him and transform our bodies uh, to be like his. And so he, he uses this verse as, as something of a bridge between uh, that previous passage and, and what he goes on to say. But he encourages them to, to stand firm. In this verse, in verse 1, it says that um, that is how you should stand firm. He, again, like I say, it's pointing, uh, pointing backwards, but it's also uh, pointing forwards to their, to stand firm there, to hold their ground. Um, and this is something that they are to do together as, as, a, as a church, as a church family, and that we are to do uh, together as well. We're to stand firm together as a, as a, a family of, of, of the Lord's uh, people. So what is, what is he uh, meaning by uh, standing firm? Well, the picture um, brings up the idea of, uh, of an army uh, lined up uh, with the enemy uh, coming to attack them. And the army line up and they will not uh, surrender any of their own territory. They're to defend uh, that territory. They're to stand firm against uh, those uh, that are um, attacking them. And of course, we've seen uh, throughout chapter three that there are uh, there are those that that seem to be outside of the church that are are, are professing a false gospel, and that 
although it doesn't seem to have infiltrated the, the church, uh, Paul is calling them to stand firm against this, uh, to stand uh, firm together in order to do this. And, and again, if you think of that, that picture of uh, the enemy attacking a, a, a line, if, if some of the soldiers don't stand firm, the enemy can, can get in, can't they? They can get around the side or, or even through the, the, the centre. So in practical terms, this means not shifting from what Paul has been teaching them, not shifting uh, from what he's taught in terms of doctrine or in terms of uh, the outworking of that doctrine, uh, perhaps the more practical side of things, whether it be um, the truth or whether it's the implications of the truth for our lives. We're to, to stand firm in what he has, has taught. And so that means they're not to shift from the gospel, isn't it? not to, to turn to any kind of false gospel uh, that is being... Um, is being uh, banded around by other people, that they're uh, to stand firm together and defend uh, the gospel from attack, to defend their ground, that they're not allowing others to undermine the gospel in uh, the church at Philippi. And in order to do this, they're to stand firm in the Lord. You notice those, um, those three important words, they're to stand firm in the Lord. Uh, these, these things require prayer, don't they? They require um, us to struggle together uh, in prayer. They require us to, to, to cling to the word of God, to remain faithful to our Saviour, knowing that he is, he is mighty to save and he's mighty to protect us. And so even when things go wrong uh, for churches, uh, that we are to, uh, to not shift from the gospel, and we're to remain uh, faithful to our, our Saviour. As I said, as he exhorts them to stand firm, Paul uses this language of, of family and this uh, lovely warm language um, for the Philippians. He calls them his, his beloved brothers or his brothers whom he loves. He demonstrates again that, that oneness, that being part of a, a, a family as he refers to them as brothers. He, and as I said, he also calls them dear friends. He says that he loves them and that he longs for them. He wants to, to be with them. And, and he refers to them as his joy and crown. They are uh, the object of his joy or the reason for his joy. That's such a, a wonderful picture, isn't it? That the, the Philippians cause delight in, in Paul. And that should be the, the case, shouldn't it? We should cause uh, delight in one another as we see uh, the gospel progress, whether it's uh, growth in, in, in numbers or its growth in individual believers. It's thrilling, isn't it, to see uh, someone grow in, in understanding. And it's thrilling to see when someone does stand their ground uh, for that first time. I remember when I was, um, I'd not long been a Christian, I went to a, a friend's birthday party and um, got into a conversation with somebody about what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. And... Um, and, and, and I, I said that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is unnatural and, it, and, it's, and it's sinful. And um, uh, the, um, there was a lady at the party who had had a, um, a friend who was a homosexual who had been beaten to death because he was a homosexual. And um, I, I didn't know about that. And, uh, and it caused a, a real problem. And, and, and I was not quite physically attacked, but almost. And, and this lady went round the party um, saying that I was an, a Nazi because of my, well, uh, my defense of what the, the Bible says. And it was the first time that I really had to stand firm for the gospel myself to, to defend uh, the teaching of, of Scripture 
And I found that hard. I was on my own at a, a party with everybody else who was unbelievers. Uh, but the Lord gave me uh, strength there. And I think it was the first time after when we came home that I prayed with Anna. And the Lord brought um, good things out of, uh, out of that. Paul says that they are his uh, joy and his crown. And as he refers to crown, the word is Stephanus. Stephanos. Um, Stephen, unfortunately, is outside, but so Stephen means crown uh, in Greek. And this word is often refers to the crown that will be given to believers at the final day when uh, we go to be uh, with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2 verse uh, 19, um, Paul refers to this. He says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And that Paul has such an affinity, doesn't he, with the churches that he's planted, and particularly with these, uh, these churches in Macedonia. And they really are, each of the believers really are a joy to him. And uh, they are his, uh, his crown. And of course, already he's uh, said that he, he wants to know that he's not laboured in vain, and that the demonstration of that is them standing firm in the gospel. Um, against those that, um, that may try and infiltrate uh, the church with their, with their false teaching. I think this is a, a challenge to us, isn't it? How we, how we look at uh, one another. Um, is there that, um, that, that intense love uh, for one another? And do we demonstrate that, therefore, by our, our actions and by the words that we uh, use with one another? Perhaps we're not very expressive, we're, we're British and we perhaps we're a bit reserved and so on, but um, Paul uses these beautiful words to describe his, his feelings towards his fellow believers. And, and it's a good thing, isn't it, to cultivate in, uh, in the church. Of course, remember, Paul's not even with the Philippians. He's, uh, he's in jail at this time, but he has this great desire to be with them. And this is him demonstrating Christ-like love, isn't it? what it is to be part of, of, of the Lord's family. So I wonder how do you feel about Sundays? Um, are Sundays uh, good for you? Do you uh, find them an encouragement and a blessing? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning and think, great, I'm going to go to church, you're going to get to, to, to gather together with, with my family and to worship, uh, worship the Lord? Or does it feel like a, a chore rather than a, a delight? I hope not. I hope it doesn't feel like a, a chore. I hope that you want to, to gather uh, together uh, to worship. Uh, sometimes my attitude isn't right and I you know, can easily make church about, about myself, uh, particularly when you all sit looking at me all the way through it. But, but it, should be, it should be a delight. We're, we're trying to teach Naomi that the Lord's Day is the best day. Um, and so not to make it a day where we just restrict everything that she does, but that we um, are positive and encouraging. And, and she, she loves being at church. She loves seeing, uh, seeing you all as we do as well. But it's something that we, we must be praying about, mustn't we? We must be encouraging um, uh, this in our, in, our, in our fellowship, a love of, of the Lord's day and expecting the Lord to, to use his day uh, to be a blessing and looking not only uh, that we might be blessed by others, but also that we might be a blessing uh, to one another. And of course, it shouldn't just be a Sunday thing, should it? We should allow uh, our love for one another to spill over into other days. 
and particularly as we're part of the, the family of God, we, we need to think seriously, don't we, about how that can happen in the society we live in with all the, the pressures on us. And, but we should take opportunities, shouldn't we, to, to spend time with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage them and, and build them up. I know some of you may, may struggle with this partly because of, of the way you are, uh, your character and your, your traits, that um, perhaps you're much quieter, much more uh, reserved, um, but it's, it, this is something we should be praying for, shouldn't we? Asking the Lord to help us uh, to do this. It doesn't come naturally in one sense uh, for any of us. None of us are naturally in, in God's family and, and learning how to, uh, to be in family life is a challenge in normal family life, isn't it? And it's a challenge in, in church family life too. Uh, so firstly, Paul calls us to stand firm uh, together as a, as a family. And then secondly, um, he says that we are to agree with one another. And this is for the good of the, the family. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. But there's, there's no room for disputes, is there, in uh, the family of God? Paul moves from speaking about um, something much more general in terms of a standing firm and, and doing so together to to addressing uh, directly a dispute between uh, two women in the fellowship. Uh, Paul uses uh, strong language as he, as, he, as he says he pleads with them. But notice he, he doesn't take sides here. Do you notice that? He, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. There's a, there's a balance, isn't there, to the way he expresses this. It's emphasised by the repetition of that word, isn't it? That word to plead. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. And yet, notice that he doesn't hold back by naming them in this letter. I think it's quite a, a, a striking thing that he, he names them and no doubt in one sense shames them by, uh, by putting their names down in black and white uh, that this, so far in this letter, only Epaphroditus from the, um, the Philippian church has been named. And he was lifted up as a, as a good example of, of Christ-likeness. And remember that he almost died uh, in service of the Lord. But Euodia and Syntyche are, are not held up in that same way, are they? They are being rebuked and, and publicly so. And although we don't know what the issue is, Oh, the issue was, it was obviously an important enough issue for Paul to put it in this letter. Uh, to, he, it obviously had a, a big enough threat to the, to the unity of the, the church uh, to warrant Paul to, uh, to write this in what's a very joyful and, and positive uh, letter throughout. So there's no room for disputes, but when disputes arise, they, they must be dealt with, mustn't they? And perhaps that's something that we uh, shy away from. Uh, we, we don't like causing fusses and, and difficulties. And yet, um, I want you to imagine this letter being read out in, in the church and with uh, Euodia and Syntyche sitting there as it's, as it's read out. And what a, what a rebuke it would be to them and what a... Um, you know, how they would how they would feel about that uh, that occurring, and perhaps it might have been read out on several occasions. You almost feel if if I was the one reading it that I would jump over that verse, 
I just wouldn't want to be emphasizing it over and over again as it was uh, read out. Uh, but it's part of our Word of God, isn't it? It's part of the Word of God that uh, the Lord has, has, has put it in there and as Paul had, had put it in uh, to this letter. And I, and I thought that if, if, if this was the way that we handled disputes in the church, uh, we would think twice, wouldn't we, about the way that we conduct ourselves by the way that we speak to one another. If, if, if any kind of dispute was publicly announced from the front, we'll, we'll have, have a new church policy. Whenever anybody has some kind of an altercation, I'll announce it each week for four weeks or something. That, that would be an interesting uh, exercise, wouldn't it, to go through. It'd be pretty, pretty frightening, wouldn't it? And it'd be very humbling, if not humiliating. Yet, I want to suggest to you that being publicly rebuked is not as bad as being left in sin. Uh, for when sin is not dealt with, it always leads to, uh, to much greater things. And when I say greater, I mean much bigger, uh, much more terrible things. But Paul doesn't mention uh, what the problem is. All we can do is, is, is guess what it might have been. It could have been a personal thing. It could have just been a clash of personalities. And we know that can often happen in churches when the Lord brings us together from very diverse backgrounds, uh, the, the tensions can arise. Perhaps it was doctrinal. Uh, um, it, clearly it wasn't over a gospel issue, otherwise uh, Paul would have, have addressed that directly. So perhaps over some secondary issue. Maybe it was an ethical thing, um, a family issue or, or something like that, and how it should be dealt. Or maybe it was about how the church uh, should be run. We don't, we don't know. Paul doesn't say, but his emphasis is that they must agree with one another in the Lord's, that they must come to, uh, to a common mind. They must have the same attitude of, of mind. It, it links back to uh, chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, uh, consider others better than yourselves. It's that having that same attitude of mind, isn't it? Going in the, uh, the same direction. Paul appeals uh, to uh, their common uh, bond in one sense. That they are, they're both they're sisters in Christ or brothers in Christ. And this is uh, the most important thing, isn't it? It's much more important than, uh, than some petty argument or even something that is uh, more serious than just being uh, petty. But it's not more important than uh, the bond that, that Christ has given us, our union with one another through our union with Christ. But of course, this, uh, this phrase, agree with each other in the Lord, it might just be a, a call to, to submission, submission to the Lord, uh, just asking them to... Um, to obey essentially what Paul has already put out in the letter that they are to just to just drop this and to set these uh, things aside. See, it's important that they're able to 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 serve the gospel together, to do gospel work uh, together. And whenever there are issues like this, they they cause us to turn inwards and uh, to take our our minds off the things that we should be doing. Uh, to use a a sporting analogy to take our eyes off the ball, the gospel ball. And of course, when people don't agree with one another in the Lord, the, the natural sinful thing is for us to take sides, isn't it? 
And once you start to take sides, uh, that causes all manner of, of issues. We get factions in the church. And what a disaster that becomes for the cause of the gospel. In fact, it's, it does exactly what the devil wants, doesn't it? It's a, it ends up being something of a victory uh, for the devil as members of the fellowship take sides and, and we see that the church slowly splits before our eyes. So we should be warned, shouldn't we? The, the fact that Paul says this to a church that seems to be pretty healthy, it's a, it's a warning to us, isn't it, that, that things can um, come about uh, that, can be, uh, that can be damaging uh, to the family and to the fellowship. That any small dispute that's not dealt with could potentially grow and, and, uh, and cause division and cause damage to the work of the gospel. So we must be able to think beyond our, ourselves, mustn't we? That's what uh, those verses in chapter 2 uh, call us to, to, to think beyond, think uh, for the better good of the, the fellowship to think for the, uh, the be- what is the best for the family uh, of God here. We're, um, uh, as we, as we, um, Naomi grows up and as we discipline her and as we try and encourage her, um, we keep, I keep finding myself saying that it's not just about her. We need to make decisions that are the, for the best of the family. And I guess that's, that's what we do, don't we, as, uh, as leaders here, that we, we're making decisions that are for the best of the family so that the family can, uh, can grow and so, of course, this means that there are going to be times when we must agree to differ. And in some ways, I, I hate that phrase, agree uh, to differ. But, but we must do. We must accept that, that we, we, we don't see eye to eye on certain things, but that those things just aren't that important. And we set them aside. We must almost, we need to say to ourselves that for the sake of the, the unity of the fellowship, that I'll set aside what I believe on, on this thing or whatever hurt I've had or whatever I wanted to be done that wasn't done. We set it aside for the good of the family. We're to agree with one another uh, for the good of the family and for the good of the gospel. And so finally, um, verse 3, helping one another uh, for the good of the family. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, uh, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. What do we see from this verse? We see that reconciliation isn't always easy, don't we? We see that reconciliation isn't always easy. We know what it took for, for man to be reconciled to God. It took the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It took the, the shedding of his precious blood uh, for our sins. And we know, don't we, that sometimes human disputes can, uh, can run deep. They can touch raw nerves. Uh, family disputes can be uh, particularly bad. I'm, I'm often amazed how um, so many families that you, that you come across have long-running disputes where they've just not been able to, uh, to sort things out. And I guess in one sense, it's more likely to happen in a family, isn't it? Because you, you have a reason to be together, whereas others might just um, go uh, their separate ways. But, but even worse than family disputes are disputes amongst Christians in, in churches Paul wants Euodia and Syntyche to, to agree uh, in the Lord, but also that he wants them, um, Paul wants them to be given help. He calls on someone in particular to help them. And again, I think it's helpful that we notice that these aren't just recent converts. They're not just those that have, have, have come to faith in Christ and they're, they're trying to understand 
and trying, trying to understand what the, the Bible teaches and they're, they're confused about all sorts of things. Now these are, are those that have, uh, have worked with, with, with Paul. Uh, um, they've contended at his side uh, in the cause of the gospel. They've worked together in, in gospel work Yet this dispute had arisen and it's undermining the gospel because the gospel is a a gospel of reconciliation, isn't it? And so when we see uh, those within church that are are apart, they're in dispute, they're they're no longer reconciled, uh, it brings the the gospel, um, uh, it undermines the truth of the gospel. They previously worked with, with, with Paul as part of his team and obviously he is commending them by the, the language that he used. So they obviously worked together uh, before and they worked with Paul and they, they worked well together. And that's perhaps why he rebukes them in this way. And that's why it's particularly grievous to him that there's now this friction that they'd perhaps even suffered uh, for the gospel's sake alongside Paul. It seems most people, when they, um, when they were alongside Paul, that they suffered in, in some way uh, for the gospel. And so Paul um, recognises that this needs to be dealt with and, and that they need somebody to help them to, uh, to reconcile. And so he addresses that person uh, directly and, and in quite what seems like quite a strange way. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who are contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Who is he, who is he speaking to? Who is he speaking to? It seems, as I say, a strange verse that, that Paul doesn't name this loyal yoke fellow Although something that perhaps he does, and that um, there's a play on words here, that uh, the word for yoke fellow, cyzygus, um, um, which will be the, the note at the, the bottom of your page, um, that that could be a, a name, it could be somebody's name. And so there's a, there's a play on words here that, uh, that the one that Paul is calling on is aptly named because uh, this is a, a man who has contended uh, for the gospel alongside Paul, but he's he's not got into disputes, that he has remained loyal and that, um, that he has worked uh, with Paul. That, that yoke fellow, the imagery of, of two animals working together to, uh, for a common goal, uh, working together to plough a, a field. And so essentially he calls on this person to help Euodia and Syntyche to do that again, to be about the work of the gospel, to, uh, to reconcile uh, themselves. If, uh, if this really is the name of a man, it, it could be very similar to, um, to Onesimus um, at Colossae. Remember in, um, in Paul's letter to Philemon, as, uh, as Paul um, calls Philemon to receive um, Onesimus back, um, he used to be his slave and he'd run away. Um, Paul says uh, these words uh, in verse 11. He says, formerly he was useless to you, uh, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And uh, Onesimus, uh, his name means useful. And so perhaps it's, it's a similar situation that Paul's using it as a, as a play on words, but uh, we don't know for certain. There's no record of somebody uh, with this name. But either way, Paul seems to be calling on somebody that, is, uh, that has some authority in the church, is, a, is one of the leaders. Um, and what he, what he wants is, is for this man... Uh, to recognise he's needed to help um, Euodia and Syntyche to be reconciled, to, to, to bring them together. And that's, and that's the goal, isn't it? This, this is uh, church discipline in action, that the goal is to be reconciled. 
Sometimes we can um, see church discipline in quite a negative way. Uh, But church discipline is always to bring uh, people back. Even at the extreme of church discipline, when you excommunicate someone from a church, the idea is still that they will they will realize what they've done, that as they are set outside the church, they'll realize the blessings that they miss and that they'll, they'll come back, they'll humble themselves and they'll repent and they'll um, be restored. And again, it's about reconciliation, that we're to, to, to help one another for the good of the, the family and particularly the, um, the leaders have a, a role in this. I think this again is why Paul uh, reminds them uh, that um, that not only were, did they contend with him for the, the work of the gospel, that they worked alongside Clement and the rest of his fellow workers. And then he says, whose names are in the book of life? He reminds them again of where, of where they're headed. Uh, just as he had um, spoken clearly about our citizenship in heaven and uh, in the previous uh, few verses and reminded us of, of Christ's return and, and the glory that, that will bring, uh, he reminds them that their, that their names are written in in the book of life, that they're written in the book of eternal life. All those that will um, have eternal life bestowed upon them by the Lord. And by saying this, he's reminding them that both Euodia and Syntyche, their names are in the book of life. That, um, that the gospel is the thing that's united them and the gospel is the thing that should reunite them or reconcile them um, again. So to help one another uh, for the good of the family, and as I say, it's a particular uh, role for the minister, and I think it's quite a sad role. As as I spent time at, uh, at college, thinking through all sorts of different pastoral situations, almost this is the the worst thing when when there seems to be some irre- irreconcilable difference between two members of the church, and how you you go about that sensitively. And so it's a particular role for the minister and the other leaders of the fellowship to to help deal with these frictions so that they don't uh, go beyond and they don't cause um, the fellowship to, um, to 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 split or become uh, disunified. And so it must be a case for our prayers, mustn't it? It must be a case for our prayers. I, I wonder why uh, Paul suddenly speaks about rejoicing in the next verse. Maybe he expects that as... Um, as uh, this loyal yoke fellow um, uh, mediates with Euodia and Syntyche, that he expects that they will be reconciled, because he suddenly goes on to speaking about rejoicing in the Lord always. And I will say it again, uh, rejoice. We must uh, consistently pray that, that God will, will keep us unified, that he will keep us together, that we'll remember that we are a, a family and that we will um, not only work together for the good of the family, but we'll help one another uh, for the good of the family that we might have uh, unity around uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the the saviour that brought us into uh, that family himself. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Amen.